Hey, Gabriel Lake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? We are in our respective homes, although we did meet in person last Saturday. Yep. Yep. That's right. It was a Saturday. It was not a Sunday. And we wanted to record, but San Francisco was celebrating a little loudly. Oh, so you have forgotten that we actually recorded? No, no, no. I didn't forget, but we wanted to record (laughs) at the bar. Gotcha. Okay. And you and I shots together, which I don't know that we've ever done before. No, we did a couple of times, at least once in a a day ago, but not so many as we did that night. I got really drunk and fell asleep laying on you on your couch. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I was meaning to ask you, you remember that? I actually appreciate that you brought it up. (laughs) I just remember you waking me up and I was like, where am I? What? What? And then you sent me home and I blacked out after that. Sorry, mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, when you when I actually like stood up, I saw that yeah, this guy. I don't know if he even knows where he is. Nope. <laughs> I got him safe though. To okay. Over the tenderloin. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, so, what do you watch today that we are not absolutely drunk? We watched the. Uh, it's from what I was reading online. It is his masterpiece, John Cassavetti's masterpiece. Uh, a Woman Under the Influence. People mm-hmm. say it's his most important film, apparently. Yep. And it's from 74, is it? That sounds about right. Yeah, 74. Yeah. Uh, so this was your pick. Why did you pick this? What did we watch last time? We watched uh, Pleasantville. That is basically the opposite of this. <laughs> so I think, honestly, when I was searching all of our different movie channels like movie or hoopla i couldn't find pleasantville anywhere but it did suggest to me a john cassavetti's film and i was like it's been a really long time since i've seen a cassavetti's film why don't mm-hmm. we watch something that's why and this was the first time that you actually watched this movie yes the first time in my mind i had seen one other cassavetti's film that he directed not that he starred in and yeah. i looked at everything he directed i can't remember anything else <laughs> Maybe I haven't seen any of his movies, no, but I have not seen this movie yet. Gotcha. So as this was your pick, I think that is like my turn to uh, give some kind of summary about it. And, uh, basically, this is a bit of a, I don't know, like suburban in LA family, like the mother that has three kids, the father that is blue collar, it's blue collar, yeah, blue collar is like this random jobs. Uh, do they ever say exactly what he does? They don't. I mean, they make it clear he's the boss of some sort of, of a bunch of people and they're doing some sort of like like mining? Yeah, yeah mine, something. I mean, they're not going into the earth, but they're like digging like up excavating. Earth, yeah. Of, yeah, excavating a giant hole. And I don't know. I don't know what he does. And I think that is on purpose that they don't explain exactly what he does. They only say that he works a lot and it's a quote-unquote important thing. So, but at the same time, he has some kind of flexibility because there is a sense that is like he basically chooses not to work in some aspects, you know, in some specific points of the movie. But the movie is about like this marriage, this couple, with district kids and the mother or the wife actually has 
some mental illness. They never like uh, dive too much into exactly what is going on, but from the beginning of the movie, it's pretty clear that everyone knows exactly that she's not okay. She's just not okay. Uh, they rely on their parents for taking care of the kids or for helping out around the house from time to time. Uh, and at some point, like midway through the movie, is that the wife gets interned into a, an asylum, we assume, in a hospital. They don't well, say exactly what it was. I think it's important to, to say that the husband committed her to yeah. an institution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah, that's basically, he says that she's out of control at this point, that she's going insane, and they need to actually just take her. Uh, then she actually comes back, and there, after there is... After six months. After six months, yeah, after six months, and after seeing, like, the kind of father that, uh, how is he called? Uh, Peter Falk. The what? Peter Falk. Peter Falk, Nick. That is Colombo. Colombo? Yeah. Uh, Which that he's directed, by the way, some of those episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, we can see what kind of uh, father Peter Flack was. Well, Nick, the character, was. Yeah, hint. Yeah, Nick, but hint, not good. Let's just leave it there. Not good. And uh, when she gets back, uh, we can see like the last half of the movie is like, basically the day that she comes back to the house. And how it actually things evolve is that there is a bit of a initial, like a big gathering for just welcoming her back. And the mother, with very good judgment, uh, Nick's mother, says like, look, all these people, they don't need to be here. Is that it's going to be like just making a hard situation even worse. So they kick them out, so only the family, the close family, and a couple of friends stay behind. And we can see how she comes back okay, but she regress immediately. Like because pretty fast. All that shit insane. Yeah, it's like, well, what I was saying, what I was thinking is that the title, A Woman Under the Influence, when we talk about like under the influence, about like just being under the influence of drugs or any other thing that they can actually just affect your judgment. And I think that in this case, what is like the under the influence is also the husband. There is like this heartbreaking scene when she comes back and she's like really serious, but still aware of what is going on. And he forcefully takes her to the stairs, I said like, just, just be yourself, just be your old self, just be this happy person. And I say, so you want her to actually just regress. You want her because you actually feel yourself better when she's going crazy. Okay, so I'm not saying that's not a valid reading, but I disagree with it. Sure. But um, I'm just gonna say I don't fucking get this movie, and maybe that exposes me as an idiot. I don't, I don't know. I, I read so many analyses of this, and every single analysis had a completely different reading of what the movie was about. I, I read like Roger Ebert's review, and I read the New York Times review from the '70s, and I read some blogs of just like you know, middle like layman people, and I don't think anybody agrees what this is about. So, in my opinion, the husband, Nick, realizes that there was nothing really wrong with her in the first place, and he was in love with that woman, and so when you're saying be yourself, he's just like, there was nothing wrong with you, you're weird and eccentric, but I love that. 
But everybody that I read disagreed and had a different reading. That's why I said it's not an invalid reading. I just don't know what this was really about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's the case, honestly. I think that it's a toxic relationship that the guy has some kind of inferiority complex and he's with her and he has some kind of internal pleasure and internal kind of self-realization and ego boost from just seeing how crazy she is. So why, if he knows that his wife is just going has like these kind of problems, why would he organize these large parties at their place? Is like he knows that that's going to go wrong. Why inviting like 30 co-workers there? And when because they go in, my wrong, opinion, like, in my opinion, the point of the film was that Cassavetes was like gaslighting um, uh, Mabel. Mabel, yeah. Really the problem was, I mean, she clearly has some real mental illness. But her husband was just as crazy as she was. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was able to hide it and he was able to maintain a job and be the somebody's boss doesn't mean that he was any less crazy. It's just that he fit into social norms more than she did. And so everyone was like, she's the problem. Oh. And that's why he threw a party with like 30, 50 people and didn't have any food prepared. Had like it was insane what he was doing he was giving his like six-year-old kids beer and getting them drunk the guy's batshit insane yeah but i mean there actually there is i i don't disagree with that part i think that he also has some kind of mental illness and i think that there is a message that i thought that oh this actually maybe like pretty prophecies from the perspective that the husband may not be judged by the same criteria as the wife because when he actually goes to pick up the kids and he's just picking two of them just pulling them up and just throwing them basically in the pickup he actually screams at the director of the school is like, what time is it there is a basically what the wife was doing while everyone was ignoring her on the street so there is a clear parallel that he's trying to do about it these are two people the both of them they have some kind of problem but it's like how he forced her to just regress as soon as she comes back is that for me that's heartbreaking you know and how then when she's like oh you know i'm just weird you know that i'm completely crazy is that yeah you know that's fine i feel good now i felt like okay this is a toxic relationship that he's getting some kind of pleasure out of her going crazy i see what you're saying i, I you have evidence i just disagree but I also thought because of um, because of the title, which is mostly used to refer to people that are on drugs or on alcohol, um, I thought there must be something to it. And so I was looking at it from a uh, perspective of addiction. And addicts are very, very often attracted to addicts because they're enablers. They get to, you know, they get to do the behaviors that other people would be like, this is unacceptable. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something to what you said is that they're both extremely mentally ill, but their relationship works for them because they're in this codependent yeah. where they can, he can mask his wife's issues for her and she can mask his violence and insanity yeah. for him. Yeah. Apart, the part of the was curious that I wanted to check with you is that this is a movie from the 70s and parenting probably was pretty different on the 70s. I'm not saying that you were alive back then, but uh, when they come back, when they're on the beach, you know, when uh, Colombo is at the beach with the three kids, 
and he's basically just carrying them from one place to another in very violent way. I just felt like that's wrong. Everything that is happening here is wrong. And then when they're coming back and they're like just sitting on the back of the pickup of the track directly, I was like just horrified about like the safety measure. But like if they break right now, is that they will just break all the bombs. And how we start like just offering beer there is like this maybe like the worst parent. But I don't know if someone like just watching it in 74, they would be like so horrified or I like, was just like trying to judge it from today's standards. So I will say that this scene, uh, Nick seems to be in a completely manic state and there's an accident on the job site where somebody, we don't know if he really gets hurt, but it, he could possibly have gotten hurt and it just freaks Nick the fuck out. And so a coworker or an employee is driving him home and he's just talking nonstop and he's like, I realized I don't even know my kids. And so he takes them out of school to basically attend the most depressing day at the beach I've ever seen. Like I will give Cassavetes that he's great at showing human misery and kind mm -hmm. of you feel like, it's not rubbing your face in it, but just like whole, like making sure you're watching this horrific thing happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then to go back to your comment, I think that the things were supposed to be shocking. I know the beer was supposed to be shocking. To see those three young kids drunk is supposed to be horrific. I will say that I, when I was like 10 and growing up in rural Idaho, we did ride in the back of trucks fairly frequently. That's changed a lot now, but I don't... I understand what you're saying. It's hard to know what's shocking, what's not shocking, because he threatened to kill children. Nick threatened to kill children in this movie. And oh like, yeah, that's right. Is just how men behave in the '70s? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't seem okay. Well, I mean, from my perspective, is like it actually helps to just put like the contrast between both of them. Is like a Mabel. She's a loving mother. It's true that she has some kind of you know like health issues, like mental issues, but. Everything that we see that she's doing with the kids, it's lovely. It's like it's, it's like caring for them. The, so I agree with you. I think she was a pretty capable mother, at least in the states that we saw her in. The one concerning thing is when Mabel had a neighbor and that neighbor's children over, and at some point, her Mabel's daughter is just running out around naked. Like that's alarming to have a stranger in the house. But overall, yeah, she was loving and caring. She didn't put the kids in risk, even though everyone thought she was. Everyone was concerned about her behavior and the dad actually put them in danger. Yeah. Uh, I think that there is like a bit of a message about like the judgment of someone that he has a like, mental illness and how they went with a nuclear option because the kind of uh, support that someone with a mental illness could have in 74 compared with what it happened, you know, what it could actually happen in 2020 is completely different. As she was like, just coming back from the hospital and she was describing about, oh, yeah, I actually had like these uh, electronics or like uh, these electric shocks going through my head and they gave me like some of random stuff. Is that nowadays I think that we know better exactly how to treat these things. And that's why I think there's definitely something in here about um, like the roles that society expects people to play. And if you don't fit perfectly into that role, you're essentially put into an institution because the dad was fulfilling his role. And everyone said, great, fine, leave the kids alone with him, even though he was clearly putting them in danger. Yeah. 
mom wasn't putting them in danger, and she got institutionalized for being essentially weird. And there could have been some mental illness there. I do think there was, but it's not like she was getting them drunk and putting them in the back of trucks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, I agree with you is that there is a message about like the husband by normal standards was not mentally ill, but he was a bad father. <laughs> but the thing is that the society is going to be like just more judgmental. Even at that point, even by nowadays standards, with the woman that suddenly starts like just dancing by herself in the living room. But there is also that a scene towards the end when she actually runs to the bathroom and she cuts herself. That it almost feels like, are you trying to commit suicide here? What is happening here? And everything is so ambiguous. At some yep. point, I felt like, okay, this is an impressive film, but, and again, I'm a Cassavetes novice, but I felt like he was a little bit of a coward to just make everything ambiguous. Like, I feel like he was just trying to hedge his bets and be like, I'm going to leave this for the broadest interpretation possible. And that's why every analysis I read had a completely different reading on it. But don't you think that there is some art to do that properly? you know, like successfully, like succeeding on doing that. Because sometimes like movies are ambiguous and you say like, I, it's ambiguous, but I don't care what the reality is. Like Donnie Darko, for example. <laughs> you can't compare Donnie Darko. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I just... So it's like, I, I think that the script here, the only problem that I have with this movie is like, I there is points that there are scenes that they keep going on and on and they're like already like cringe worthy from the beginning but they keep going on and it's like okay are, are like the actors right now like improvising everything and you thunder is like you know that, that was cool let's just keep it is that this seems to be like 20 minutes when it's like no just with five minutes you have exactly the same kind of feedback the main problem that i had is like when you already made your point move on there is no reason why in the final scene or the final sequence the kids are taken to the room three times and they come back. Is it why is this still going on? Why do we need like 25 minutes of this? Is it you already made the point? Is that she regress like immediately as he came back because it's pretty clear that she, if she was like just uh, discharged in the hospital, it's because she was doing better. So there is something in the house environment that is completely unbalancing for her, and See, that and thing I, is the husband. I read a uh... Uh, an analysis that said that she was released from the hospital because this is a portrait of mental illness and the hospital felt like there was nothing else they could do so they just sent her to live her life. <laughs> it's like, it's like we could talk about this for hours but there's this film isn't about anything. I think he's very good at creating moods and and I don't know that he had anything to say here. Wait, 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 wait. What you're saying right now is exactly what I said about Maria Antoniette and about Sofia for Coppola. Are you telling me that this is a Sofia for Coppola show? I will f say that I have more tolerance for Sofia Coppola than I do after for Cassavetes after watching this. Wow, I, okay. I told you from the beginning, I didn't get this movie. I don't get it. It made me I, feel bad. I I searched for meaning for hours. I couldn't find anything. I I was mind blown by this. And I'm going to be like telling you, I told you before we start recording, I'm going to be like mentioning the ice storm. Is like for me, <laughs> this was a slam dunk. For me, this was like, I'm mind blown. Is that this is the kind of emotional torture 
that I want to have from a movie of this style. Is that this is not Haneke level, you know, but it's just not that far. You know, you could have done this in, uh, I don't know, like 120 minutes, 110, 100. Is that you could have been like this a bit more concise, but I love it. You know, the kind of toxic relationship from my perspective that I was seeing between both of them, like the kind of social commentary on the mental illness of the wife, I felt like this. It's good. It's really good. And what what is the social commentary? It's what was really he saying point. about society? That they are going to be like judging women in a different way that they're going to be like judging men when both of them on this kind of situation, both of them they were like just fucked up. Okay, that that reading I completely agree with. That's the one thing, and I just felt, why am I watching two and a half hours of this? <laughs> that I, on that part, I agree with you. It's like two hours and a half of this was not needed. And you can actually see that it's, like, it's not that there is padding, but this doesn't add anything else. It's like the, the, the scene already made me feel bad. It's like, we can move on. It's like, you're not going to make me feel worse at this point. It actually reminded me a lot of, um, is it Repulsion? Like Catherine, Catherine Deneuve? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> no, for me, I can tell you there is a. I, I actually, when I was watching this, like, why am I connecting with these characters and with this story more than I connected with the ice story? And I felt like the acting here and the script, the overall script of this, it actually just made me feel that this was more heartfelt than actually a bit more of a complex story as it happens in the ice storm. So I'm confusing Joan Allen's performance in Pleasantville because we watched that more recently. I think Joan Allen was as good, but I think that both uh, Nick and um, Mabel, just mind-blowing performances, just incredible. Uh, What Mabel was able to do with whatever her tics, her mental, like her physicality, it was just, it was so believable. I never for a second doubted that this was a real person. Um, And I think, I think Nick's performance is, it's different because it's way more brash and expansive, but it was yeah. just as good, if not better. It, really incredible. Yeah, like the points, the points that is like when you can actually just see on the screen about like how toxic they are to each other. Like for example, when the doctor is there and he's like just waiting to just uh, take her away and they are like hugging each other. And he's like just, I don't remember exactly what he says, that he's like, I love you and something else. But you can just see about like how broken both of them they are. Is that yeah, the interpretation that uh, Peter Fly has to do, it has less nuance than what Mabel does, yep. you know. But it's like it's still it complements each other like pretty well. So I thought that it's, like, the interpretation of both of them it was amazing. I think that she was nominated to an Oscar. I was. I, and yeah, he was. I, not. He was. He was not. Yeah, only her, only she was. I think it was like the director, John Cassavetes, and uh, and her was nominated. They didn't win, but at that point, it's like I don't want to check who won because ninety nine percent sure they're going to feel peace about it. So, uh, but it's like her interpretation was just mind blown. I cannot remember any other interpretation of someone with a mental illness that it was so believable. Maybe that's why I thought about repulsion because it was a similar like portrait of mental illness. Yeah, and the thing is like if you have, I love also like the scenes when they have other people like visiting or around and how they react to the illness about like we don't know what to do, 
And from Nick's perspective, is that there is a part of resignation and there is a part of condescendence, of condescendency about it, you know. But I, I have like a relative. Well, I mean, he passed away already. And he had this, and my, uh, my father and my uncles and aunts, that they actually grew up like pretty close to that relative. Is that they knew how to read? They they almost was like normalized for them. But for me, say like I always felt like those people that they go to their house. I said, like, I don't know how to react. He's like, I I honestly I I don't know. Should I say something about like, hey, look, the uh, grandpa, sorry, the grand uncle is doing something pretty weird, or it because you guys are ignoring it, that you guys like not seeing it. Is like, that kind of stuff? Is like I felt like a kind of awkwardness on the uh, on the gatherings with her, it was portrayed yeah. perfectly, you know? Like at the beginning, it's like, okay, we're going to be like laughing along, and they say, no, this is weird. How it start, like yeah. just the awkwardness, like just building up. The problem is like, it gets to a point, especially you had a relative like that, it gets to a point that is like, okay, at this point, it's like just climbing down, and for him, it's like, no, I'm going to be like just keeping it high, because I want to make you feel like really uncomfortable. At that point, it's the point that like, you could have cut this scene already. It's not adding anything else at this point. Are you thinking specifically of the scene when um, Mabel is stood up by Nick, so she gets wasted and has sex with a man, which is completely glossed over, by the way, and when Nick finds out about it, no big thing. Um, But Nick brings home his entire crew at 7 a.m. and expects, like, a full Italian dinner without ever having said anything to her, and that's, that's the most uncomfortable scene to me is when... Oh gosh, she just starts to act weirder and weirder and weirder, and Nick tolerates it and tolerates it until finally he lashes out, and it's just like, why do we yeah. have to watch twenty minutes? Yeah, yeah, but but the thing is that that's the point. It's like it's twenty minutes, and it makes the whole thing awkward and awkward. But it gets to some kind of threshold that is like you could have just removed like these five minutes that don't add anything. Like for example, like just Mabel, like just looking, staring at the mouth of someone singing, is like. I don't think that that's adding at this point. Is I already know that she's weird. Is it, it's not like adding any kind of nuance to the character. That's the only point that I, the only problem that I have with the movie. And I was reading the only thing that I read about it is like was there any kind of improvisation on the script? And what I read is like from an interview with John Cassavetes, and that he was saying that he liked the actors to just bring some color to the characters. But the script, it would be like adaptive a bit to how they were playing, but there was like a, a strict script for them. Oh, interesting. Because what I read, this is just about Cassavetes in general. It was a New York Times like introduction to him. They said that he always told actors just to paraphrase the script that they read. Just make it their own and use their own words. Yeah. which is interesting. So it sounds like this was a deviation from that and he had a very specific idea. This is how this film is going to go. Well, I think that what he did is actually recording. When they were like recording, he would actually adapt the script at that point. You know, he's like, oh, well, the actor actually said like something is slightly different here because he actually adapted whatever kind of phrase yeah, the script. There is one of his movies where the actors, they had like way more freedom. But I don't remember which one was it. That was probably the first one he did that he announced this was an improvisation. It wasn't. There was a script. I read about it. Uh, (laughs) But honestly, I I I quote unquote love it because I it's not like a hard lifting kind of movie. It just makes you feel it's like okay, yes, he's back at home, but they're never going to be happy. 
never. So interesting. I I had a my reading was that yeah they're both fucked up but they love each other and now that they're not going to try and like pretend they're anything but crazy everything would be okay. No, because the thing is that when the movie ends, that the last kind of conversation that they have, I don't know if it's that before going to bed or after going to bed, is they see Ashley says that oh I'm crazy, you know, and he says and he says like yeah I know but I love you. But so the final scene, she says, "Do you love me, Nikki, or do you love me, Nick?" And he says, "I, uh, I, uh, let's clean up dinner." He never, he never says it back. And I was like, no. "What?" At that point, at that point, no. But he's like, "I think that there is like something a bit later. I should check it out." But there is a point where he actually is like just calm down in a way that it almost feels like someone that he had like a pretty terrible night, drinking way too much, did something terrible, and the following night, the following morning, he's like, "Come on, I cannot believe that I did that." And then you have like a loving partner that he tells you, "Is like, it's fine. We all make mistakes." There is a bit of that, you know, in the last sequence about like, "Well, I, I'm completely crazy. You know that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I do." But there is that kind of condescendency that is like the reason why I think that this is a toxic relationship. That basically he is in it just for making him feel better about himself. But how can you reconcile that opinion with you also saying that he's just crazy as shit? Oh no, he is. But he's a different kind of crazy than her. Crazy. Look, crazy is a term that you wouldn't use with someone who has a mental illness because you think that is offensive. Yes. I wouldn't use crazy with her. She has a mental illness. He is crazy. Okay, I can see that. I can see that, and I also think that to Casavetes, it's not that important. It's not important who has whatever diagnosis. It's just these are two people that are judged very differently and treated very differently by the world. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought that that's. I don't know. I. <laughs> I like this movie a lot, and I have to say that I'm like way curious to see exactly what other like Casey movies out of there. So definitely, I will. If you don't recommend one, I will put one eventually on the list. So let me say, I didn't. I thought this was a good film. I didn't love it, but I can see that there's something interesting in his direction, and I'd be very curious to see the trajectory of his career, like see yeah. the early movies, see the uh, the later movies. Um, so I would definitely watch another Casavetes film. I just yeah. am not going to score this very high, and I feel like in ten years I'm going to be like, I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm not saying that you will see yourself like a fucking idiot, but I can say you remember that we talked a couple of times. I, I'm not going to be like putting him in the same bucket, but we have talked a couple of times about Lars von Trier or Haneke, about like or even like uh, Gaspar Noé from the perspective of just they don't want to make you feel good or they don't want to make cinema like something digestible or palatable, but they are important to cinema as a whole. Is like when I was watching this movie, it's like there was some points that I was like, this is important cinema. And this is like cinema that is actually just trying to push the boundaries, especially like being on the 70s and say like the kind of interpretation that they're doing, the kind of topics that they're treating and how they're treating it in a very like heartfelt, like face value kind of thing. I know there is no like just kind of, 
uh, just to paraphrase uh, Edwin, there is no like metaphoric nonsense. He said, this is completely like face value. You see how the father is giving beer to the kids and it's like, yeah, you know, if you drink enough, you're going to feel like, you know, like just holding a sleeve right away. It's important on days like these not to drink too much because you can get drunk. So just slow just down. Keep drinking. Yeah, slow down. <laughs> Come on, just control. So I felt like this is important cinema. If I were to just, like, just teach some kind of a, a film education or film studies kind of thing, is that this could be a movie that I would say is that this is a movie that probably nowadays it would have made in a completely different way. And that wouldn't mean that it could be better. So I would, I would also show it in a theoretical film class I taught, but as an example of American independent film, which, which he essentially was kind of the first that started to fund his own project so he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. So like yeah. from that aspect, I do think it's important. Did he say anything new or make me think about things differently? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's completely fair. Uh, for me, it is, you know, because I also think that there are like two things on this movie. And I think that uh, we mentioned this, that and I was thinking about it when, towards the end, I was thinking, like, can I be like fully objective with this movie? Because clearly for me, this was a movie about like toxic relationships. And I I had one, you know? Uh, <laughs> and from that perspective, it's like just looking now in retrospective, it's like, I relate to this topic. It's, top, it's a topic that I like to see portrayed on the movies. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Sunset Boulevard, and it's also about like a, a toxic relationship as I also like, like grief process kind of movies. So, but at the same time, how I saw it, like just displayed on the screen, it just made me feel that it's like, this is something that resonates with me. And it made me feel, I mean, it made me think actually about you watching The Ice Storm and just how that one actually resonated with you. And for me, it didn't tell me anything. I was like, yeah, this is just almost formulaic. It's like, I've seen this like just done before. And that's fair. And you can't say that this film is formulaic. I mean, it's different, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think about like many other movies, you know, with this kind of level. I think I have the feeling, and I have seen one to two Cassavetes films, so, but I get the impression that this is the sort of director that you need to learn his like visual vocabulary, and like understand him a little bit more, or maybe I'm just, a basic bitch who doesn't get him from the very beginning. But I want to see more of his films to understand as like, more of a complete picture. What is he trying to say overall? Yeah. Would you recommend these to other people? Um, the answer is yes, but I also don't know anybody in my current life that would do this. So. So probably not. Like if I met a guy at a bar and we started talking about films and he was clearly interested in cinema more than like movies, I would probably say, oh, check this out. It's really different. But don't you think that at that case, you know, when you're like just meeting someone for the first time, you have like many other movies that you, I mean, if that's the only criteria, you know, about like just recommending like a film instead of cinema, don't you think that there are like many other movies that you like? Like, I don't know, all Inma Berman, filmography that you recommend yeah, before definitely. that. And, and if it was a gay guy in a gay bar in San Francisco, I would just recommend Clueless. Um, but... Of course. That's like <laughs> the way of getting laid. 
Um, yeah, there, there's there are many many movies I would recommend before this one. Yeah, I I would recommend this one honestly. I I mean I think that I would almost recommend this to my parents. And I usually like pretty cautious with the kind of movies that I would recommend to my parents. But this is one that I will be like curious to actually just hear what my parents would think. And then to anyone else, yeah, if they actually just if we start like talking about like mental illness. I think that this is a movie that I would recommend, like the first one that I can have to my to my mind. And probably, the, probably the second one will be the science of sleep. Oh, interesting. I don't know that there's like a film I keep handy to recommend about mental illness. Yeah, you would recommend the Idiots. <laughs> or Nymphomaniac too. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> Nymphomania, <laughs> it's an illness. <laughs> okay, I had two criteria for recommending Nymphomania and Volunteer. One of them is mental illness, the other one is like just seeing like two big black cocks like just flapping around. <laughs> I have to say, I just moved and I did find the Blu-ray you gifted me of Nymphomaniac, so thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> you are welcome, welcome to like, you are like, to wash my mouth out of the taste of this film. <laughs> Uh, do you think that there is something artistically interesting about this movie? Yeah, absolutely. I think, so we both loved Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is like yeah. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on crack. It's just, it's so intense. The emotions he's able to make you feel are very big. Um, the realism is incredible. And I did read that he's kind of one of the first people to do films that are this realistic in terms of like, human conversation and stuff like that yeah it, it's the direction is interesting the script is interesting yes there's a lot artistic here yeah yeah i fully agree i think that uh the raw style that he was using is what i envision of uh how do you say of uh of hollywood during that time well hollywood not hollywood in the cinema in america not hollywood hollywood is going to do that but it's a bit more like when you see the style it's like immediately you recognize it about like this is from early to mid 70s and i think that the shooting part of it is just functional part of it there are like a couple of scenes that i almost felt is like this didn't age as well as like with the guy like just fall down the hill you know like just breaking all his bones supposedly I actually reround that to watch it a second time. I was like, what happened? <laughs> I was like, no, this is like just, uh, how do you say, a MacGuffin for just keeping the story moving forward. Let's just move on to, let's not pretend that something happened. We never address it. There's never any consequences of that. It's just kind of a, let's no. stop and start something else. There are a couple of, uh, of consequences to it. You know, like just dialogue, like lying on dialogue, like the wife when he's on the party. And he's like, oh, so it didn't come. He's like, you faster, you know that it didn't come. You know, you actually said like five minutes ago. And uh, and he's like, so why are you here? You know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here because I really like it. your wife. I love her, but you're a fucking prick. Yes. She's like, you're a shit. I was like, whoa, this was like such a nice interaction. And then all of a sudden, well, I was like, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense because like, no one actually is telling him the piece of shit that he is. Because the wife at least has some kind of excuse. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. He's just a terrible human being, you know. Uh, so yeah, I think that artistically is a, his artistic strength. I think that is deeper from just I don't know, like for example, the fall. That is like it's visually striking, oh, yeah. but there is like not too much substance to it. I think that this is the other way around. It's like it's a bit more on the substance and about like how the 
the acting works out and how the script is so well thought about like just remaining in ambiguous states. I do think, and this is just, I suspect this because I haven't seen other films by him, is that he's going to be extremely character driven. He's going to be able to create these very rich detailed characters. And then the story kind of takes second place to the character development. It's just a supposition. I don't know that that's the case, but you can see that his strengths are like building these characters so yeah. thoroughly. Um, which is but cool. is that bad? No, no, it's not bad at all. I think yeah. it's great. I don't think many yeah. directors can do that. Yeah. I mean, I, if I think actually about the Ice Storm, my problem is like the other way around. But it's like, I don't see like real development on the characters per se. They almost feel like a bit more like just being there for displaying a bit of a larger term, a larger topic. I agree, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the Cassavetes was, he just wanted you to know everything that character was thinking, no matter what it was. And Ang Lee was like, I'm not going to let the audience know what they're thinking at all. You're just going to have to guess at what like traumas they have in the past and why they're doing this. So yes, completely different, different styles. Style. Yeah. yeah, different. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think that there is anything wrong with them. It's like, I just think that character driven is something that doesn't happen nowadays anymore. It's like, we don't want like intimate stories anymore. We don't want like this kind of ambiguity at the end of the stories that we want, like things that they are a bit more, I don't know how to say, I, I know that there is no way of saying this without like sounding easily digestible. It's like, yeah. like a, a story that has a start and an end and makes you feel good. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, and it's, it's not about like just making me feel good or bad, you know, because for example, it's like even with funny games or with Haneke films, is that you can see like the bigger topic, like pretty clearly about like, yeah, I want to make you feel bad because human race is terrible. Just suffer, bastard, uh, because you're part of the human race or you're part of the problem. Uh, but with this one, it's like, I, I agree with you, like, it's a bit more about like how you want to read it at the end of the day. Is that you want to just read it as a very small story of this couple, you want to read a bit more of social critique about like how they're treating genders in a different kind of way. You want to read about like how families are being raised because the parents of both of them they are around and they are more of a nuance more than anything else. <laughs> there are like many many things that they are in there, but it's like it's out to you what you want to take out of it. Yep, yep, so, I agree. And for me, it was like just mind blowing. The only problem it was like just two hours and a half, especially just watching it yesterday. Started like at eight. I think watching it was like, this doesn't happen. It's that like when the kids went like for the third time to the room, it's like, just kill them. Just, just kill them. It's like, I don't want them like a fourth time going back to the room. Uh, would you remember this movie in uh, a year from now? Uh, I don't think I will remember that much. I'll remember snippets. I'm not going to remember the details of what happens pre-institutionalization and post-institutionalization, but I'll remember that she was committed to some sort of hospital. That's about it. Yeah. I I think that I will remember like a 70-80% of it. You know, is that the thing on the beach? The thing on the beach, I will remember it. For sure. I may not remember the awkward scene when the neighbor with the kids come. <laughs> but it's still a pretty awkward and pretty cringe. You know how the kid ends up naked. <laughs> that is also, I don't think I've seen full frontal child nudity in any movie. That was really shocking. Yeah, that was a bit out of, yeah, out of place. Uh, but the scene of the dinner, of the dining, sorry, of uh, when she's serving the food to all the friends, well, to all the co-workers, I'm going to remember like part of it. 
because that part was oh god is that this is exactly how it feels when you have like someone with a mental illness in your family so, yeah, like this doesn't end it's, this just continues did that remind you of Buñuel at all and i know i'm saying that wrong i'm sorry Buñuel? no not really i wouldn't say that it's not really because it's surreal like some of the Buñuel stuff but in the Buñuel stuff there is a bit more of a critique to the society in this case it's about like the individual and about how the society interacts with it but there is no critique to the society per se at that point you remember point. in the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie they're like having dinner and then all the fall all the the walls fall away and it turns out they're in front of an audience Obviously that didn't happen in this film, but I thought the absurdity of all of those characters and the speed, like the velocity of the story going and how the characters basically weren't really interacting with each other. They were just mm. like the words. It reminded me a lot of that specific movie, but I understand why it didn't for you. Yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't for me because at the, thing, at the same time, I think that they tried to also like just portray this blue color, like salt of the land, American. That is that they are authentic, even like the uh, the friend, the co-worker that he goes to the beach with him, and he even jokes like, "Oh, they used to call me fish." He's like, well, I was thinner back then, you know. He does like this kind of comments, and he has like this kind of mentality about like, I don't want to be conflictive, you know. And like just a nice guy. Everyone on that party felt like a nice guy. That like you couldn't see them as anything else than nice guys. You know, I on the. Agree. I thought they all were like self-motivated, and maybe I told them many times, "You guys need to leave. I want to be with my husband." No, 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 not at the party. Uh, oh, you're talking about like the party on the party. The yeah, scene. I agree. Yeah, on the final scene, I thought that you were talking about like the uh, when they're eating lunch, you know, no, with no, the spaghetti. No. Yeah, I'm talking about the absurdity of the 60-person yeah. party, how they were all in the rain, and then it went down to a small party, and they were all psychos. Yeah, well, when the when the remaining ones stay, and maybe will actually say something like, "Look, I just want to be with my husband because we want to go to bed," they should say it's like, "Yes, you just came back, and of course, it's completely understandable. After six months, you want to have sex with your husband, <laughs> and you're yeah, trying to be polite." Oh, I wish you'd calm down, Maisel. I wish you calm down. Yes, because that's what works with mentally ill people. Just anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, that party was actually a bit more about like just society almost. I mean, that's that's how I felt about like just at that point is that there is a bit of commentary there about like just not only the husband wanting her to regress, but also society not understanding what that person is and yes, just thinking exactly. about thinking about like what they need to get from that other person. You know. Yes, yeah, so it wasn't about Mabel. It was yeah. about what they wanted. Exactly. Yeah. Like that party of you know like 100 people at their place. That is a like, why do you guys need to say hi to her at the point? And when the car arrives, everyone is like, oh my God, I really miss you. It's like, who are you? It's like, I don't remember, you don't remember me, but you saw me once, like two years ago. Is it, what is the point? No, I'm like, I'm like the wife of that guy you met last month. Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I, I understand that, but there's a bit more of the problem is that that party wouldn't have happened if the husband hadn't organized it, you know, and how the husband sold it to other people about like, my wife is coming back and my wife would love for all of you to be there. And actually the husband didn't visit the wife during those six months in the hospital. Which was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's once again, it's like the husband is an asshole and he's actually just created like an asshole situation for the wife coming back home because it's not about her, it's about him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I agree. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I'm going to remember, as I told you, that maybe like a 70-80% of this movie. I was like pleasantly surprised by it. So you're welcome for me introducing you to this movie. So who should I score first? It was my pick, so you score first. My score is actually an 8.5. All right, all right. I'm going to pull out the quarter point again because I couldn't decide between a 6.5 and a 7, so I'm just going to go with 6.7. All right, so you say that Pleasantville was better than this. What did I score Pleasantville? <laughs> you were done drunk. <laughs> Just could it a seven. I barely remember that recording, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should actually, I think that it's like, if we have like a highlight episode about like just the best moments is when you score this and I actually asked you like completely <laughs> serious, like, are, are you serious? I remember just trying not to slur my speech. That's <laughs> that's completely fair. So C seventy five. Okay, no, that's that's completely fine. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the next one is my pick. And before we record it, I gave like three different choices to Blake. I'm not going to disclose what would be other two choices because they will come back. Believe me, they will eventually <laughs> come back. Not in the order of preference that you displayed, but they will come back eventually. I will just save them for a rainy day, you know. So just keep it on your purse. <laughs> just when we watch it, is I just say like Jose just thinks fuck you. <laughs> Uh, and that was a reference to the talent of Mr. Ripley. And uh, what we're going to be like watching this time is going to be the 67, I think. Uh, no, the Samurai? Yeah, 67. Uh, Jean Pierre Melville, a classic movie called Le Samurai with Alain Delon. And this actually comes back from when we watched uh, Diva and uh, what was the other one that we watched like, back to back? That it was also like a French surrealist. Le Boucher. That was realist, that was like French realist, and Diva was like French surrealist. I wanted to see Diva, sorry, uh, Le Samurai is a bit closer to what uh, Diva was, I think, if I recall correctly. So I'm curious to see what is going to be my opinion after 15 years, after the last time that I watched it. Again, I haven't seen it. I've known about this film, but I know nothing about it. So I can't uh, wait. And you know how much I love French cinema. I know, I know. Almost, almost as much as in my Berman cinema. Almost. Oh <laughs> right, man, this was great. Thank you so much for presenting me with John Casabets. You're welcome. Yeah. And to whoever is listening out there, is a uh, well, do, do something better with your life, honestly. You can do better. <laughs> and we're in the third wave, so like really wash your hands. Yeah, just, just wave. So like just surf the wave. Is that something that they say? Uh, yeah, surf. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye.